Welcome back to the Draft Season Podcast, sponsored by thenickswall.com. I am your host, Nick Carananti, and with me today, again for the second time this season, Dean Johnu. How you doing, Dean? I'm doing well. How you doing? Not bad. I'm, I've been looking forward to this one. We have a very special guest today, and this is someone that is just absolutely killing it with draft content, and you should absolutely be looking for everything He's bringing out there, and that is from No Ceilings, Tyler Metcalf. How are you doing, Tyler? Guys, I'm good. I'm excited to be on with you. We finally have a draft order set. A lot of fun prospects in this class, so this should be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So as Tyler said, this is our first podcast since the lottery was set, which means the Knicks are picking at 11. That top of the order is set with Orlando, Oklahoma City, Houston, and Detroit. We covered it live on Twitter Spaces. I hope you were able to to join in and hear some of our conversations about that order specifically. Today, we are going to be talking about combo guards in this class. I think this class is very interesting for a lot of reasons. Does not have a lot of real lead guards or traditional point guards. It's also missing some of the types of prospects we've seen in the past, the jumbo initiator, Josh Giddy type, Cade Cunningham last year in, in particular. But there are a lot of combo guards, a lot of kind of interesting prospects with one or two um, elite skills that we're going to be talking about today. And we are going to get started with someone that some are saying is the top guard in the class. And by some, I mean Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, you have long been talking about Johnny Davis. I'm going to open this up to you. Please tell everybody why Johnny Davis is the top guard in this class in your mind. Yeah, so I'm, for, for starters, I, I fully acknowledge that I'm in the minority on that view. Um, and it, it's not a slight to Jaden Ivey, who I just have one spot behind him. Um, but for me, it's the fact that Johnny just does everything at a high level. Um, I know people are going to look at just the raw three-point shooting percentage um it's not ideal but there's nothing mechanically wrong with his shot so i think in time um that comes around just fine Uh, i don't think he necessarily needs to be a 40 plus percent three-point shooter but i expect him to be high 30s uh people also doubt the passing ability but to get an assist the other guy has to make a shot no one on that team can shoot um on top of that his spacing was one of the worst in the country this year. Uh, He was the alpha and Omega for that Wisconsin team. And if you take, take him off that team, that team's barely cracking the top 10 in the big 10. So his craft around the rim, his touch with both hands, his mid range scoring game. He's a really good passer, not as a primary guy, but as a secondary or tertiary creator. Um, And then defensively, he's one of, the best perimeter defenders in this class. Uh, His measurements were really impressive at almost 6'6 at the combine this week. So 
I, I think he's a little more versatile and multi-positional defensively than people are giving him credit for. So he's just a guy who has an awesome approach to the game, incredible motor, works his butt off, and fills whatever role he's asked to at an extremely high level. Um, his freshman year, he was just a role player off the bench, and he succeeded at that. Uh, when he went to play FIBA, they gave him a more prominent role, but still not the guy, just a starting role player, and he succeeded at that. And then for Wisconsin this year, they asked him to do literally everything for that team, and he succeeded at that. So he's really one of these guys where you, you have to watch the tape and really factor in the context of his situation because you know, he's not one of these guys that's uh, just a shot chucker for the sake of it. He's taking those shots because he has to, because his team needed him to. Um, you put him in a better situation with better spacing and a little more qualified teammates, that shot selection looks significantly different. And so I'm, I'm glad you brought up the couple of those points in particular. I think contextual situation is really important. And when you're comparing him to Jaden Ivey, who gets that defense all of the time, no one ever brings up Jaden Ivey without talking about how poor the spacing was at Purdue and running the offense through the bigs, which took away from his ability to get to the rim, right? Because when you're looking at Ivey, that's how you're going to look at him at the NBA level because he mm -hmm. was not an NBA offense. Johnny Davis, as you said, was on a really, really bad team. And some of the typical critiques that he gets were fully because of that, right? The shot selection in particular, I think, is a really important lens to look at why he took as many shots as he did, why he had to take such difficult shots. Because all defenses were focusing on was him and and the role he had was so massive there dean i know you were watching johnny davis quite a bit yesterday what are some of the things you noticed so he's one of those guys where it strikes you that like he's never really taking a, a shot from what i saw that uh he wasn't comfortable taking um seems like uh, behind the scenes, he must put in a ton of work because there was so much uh, consistency in some of the ways that he would score. And he just, he struck me as someone who is not going to ever really like take a playoff. I think my first, my first input that I, that I sent into um, our, our Slack at the Knicks wall was that I thought he'd fit really nicely next to RJ Barrett uh, as like a wing tandem guys who are going to pass and move, make intelligent plays, do some secondary creation. So I really like the rest off from Johnny Davis. Yeah, and again, defensively, he's such a hardworking player that there were, I think, some light questions about athleticism, about size, or as Tyler said, you know, measured pretty well at the combine. But he works so hard that I, I don't see that not translating to defense. And especially when you're looking at guys next to R.J. Barrett, I think that's exactly the kind of player you would want is that sort of hard-nosed defender. I don't know, Tyler, what do you think about that fit for the Knicks? I, I really like it. I think he kind of helps modernize, um, you know, so, some of their perimeter stuff and has that same just high motor, high physicality, just 
toughness that a lot of that team does. And, you know, that, that attitude that they really um, adopted when that year or two years ago, when they were in the playoffs, Um, I think he would fit in great. He would be able to play a myriad of roles, whether they need him to be a bench scorer or just kind of a a role player with that starting group. Um, He would be able to fill it. It's, you know, the, I, I was a big fan of Quentin Grimes coming out. I think Johnny Davis is the the souped up version of that. Um, so I just defensively, I think he really diversifies what their perimeter defense looks like. Um, I think he immediately improves that. His screen navigation, his off ball team defense is really impressive. Um, his pursuit angles are extraordinary Uh, my only nitpick is that his on ball footwork can get a little sloppy where he starts crossing his feet but his motor and balance is so good to begin with that he kind of ends up compensating for that so it doesn't really affect him too much but it is like the one thing on his defense that i i've kind of nitpicked throughout the season i agree with everything i personally have him as the the top perimeter defender but there is another player that I think is most people's number one in that category. And that's the next person we're going to talk about. So let's, let's move into it. But before we get into Dyson Daniels specifically, who do you have as the better perimeter defender? Um, I have Dyson right now as the better perimeter defender. Um, Johnny, Johnny's close. He's right there. But if, if Dyson is this six, eight, that, we keep hearing um, that that size just affords him so much more versatility that he can essentially guard one through four. Um, and, you know, I, I like Johnny. I think he can momentarily do some of that. I think he can switch one through three. Um, but, you know, now that we're getting these six ten to seven foot wing ball handlers, like, you know, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Paul George, the list goes on. Johnny's going to sp- struggle with those guys more than Dyson will. Yeah, so let, let's talk about him because that's, I think, the right context from which to, to look at him. For those of you unfamiliar, Dyson Daniels is now reportedly 6'8", wing guard-ish prospect from the G League Ignite, originally from Australia. He's been shooting up draft boards. I think he is one of the guys that I could see really surprising people on draft night with how high he's picked. Tyler, what can you tell people who are unfamiliar, just the the quick version of what Dyson Daniels is as a prospect? Uh, He's an elite defender who um, can do just a little bit of everything on offense. Uh, The spot of shooting took a big jump, but it – the jumper has a long ways to go. He's a good passer, good straight line driver. The size affords him a lot of at rim finishing, but the, the big selling point with him, um, you know, the, the glowing neon sign is his defense and what, and how destructive he can be with that. The player that I've seen get brought up next to him a couple of times on Twitter this week with the combine is Scotty Barnes with similar types of, combine score specifically the quickness on the shuttle run I don't know if I see that but that is going to be really a selling point 
for him is that quickness given the size. Dean, what do you think of Dyson Daniels? Well, I think he's intriguing. Um, I think that he's someone who, let's say, if the Knicks you know, ended up with him, people would be clamoring for him to play because of his size, his defensive ability. Um, but then uh, at the same time, there are some questions about him and his, and his offensive readiness for the league. And so I think you could definitely see him getting buried um, under Tom Thibodeau. But we don't know how long Tom Thibodeau will be the head coach of the Knicks. And I think that the Knicks need to be just concerned with drafting the best possible player, the best player for the franchise moving forward. And, you know, if, if, they, if they decide that that's Dyson Daniels, I would really, really support it. Um, there's not a, a huge history of um, he, he's an Ignite player, right? Yeah, there's not there's not a long history with the Ignite guys. So. You know, there's going to be question marks, especially if you're Tom Thibodeau. But I was very into what I saw on video. I think it's interesting because we haven't seen a ton of players on the night really help their draft stock, right? If you look at someone we'll talk about later in the, the podcast, Jaden Hardy came in as this high-level prospect, definitive lottery top five guy, and fell off specifically from – struggling to start the year at the higher level of competition in the G League. I I think Dyson Daniels more than anybody else in that system, not including Scoot next year, really helped themselves playing in that in that system with the Ignite. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, and it it's tough. And we were also, you know, I think really spoiled with last year's Ignite class with Jalen Green and Kaminga. Um, and those guys set the bar really high. And, you know, when, when we take high schoolers and immediately put them into a pro context, that's a really, really tough transition. And we saw these guys struggle with it um, right out the gate. Now, you know, to, to their credit, they fought through those hurdles and all of them improved across the board where their second half of the season was all significantly more impressive than their first, um, you know, did, to stick on Dyson, uh, the, the defense was really good throughout. Um, but the offense in the second half is kind of where like the spot up shooting started to take a leap and it started to become more consistent and more productive. And that's all you can really ask from these guys, especially after, you know, like uh, spending a year in COVID that really took a lot of developmental time away from their, their high school growth. And then to take that disrupted year or two in some cases, and then throw them straight into professional ball against guys who are trying to, you know, fight for a paycheck and to make the NBA, it's going to be tough. Um, and just when you compare the talent levels of these guys from this year to, like I said, Jalen Green and Kaminga and even Dacian Nix and Isaiah Todd the year before, it's tough because those guys are, you know, are in a different class and both Kaminga and Green would be taken well ahead of any of these guys this year. So with only two years of sample size, it's tough to really compare successes or failures, but what they all did across the board, all four of these guys, was overcome a lot of struggles that they had early and it, it would have been really easy for them to shut it down. Um, but they went through it and improved pretty much across the board. Yeah. I think that's a really good point too. We don't typically see, let's say for example, players in the Euro league get a ton of run at a young age 
because they don't prioritize the development. And just naturally, it's really hard to see 18, 19 year olds compete successfully against grown men. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see that change a little bit, whether it's guys going to the NBL or now this, the G league ignite as an option. I think that sort of context really matters because that's a really, really harsh transition from, from high school to now you're playing against, you know, Michael Beasley. And that's going to take time and it's going to take time for these guys to figure it out. And that is the common thread across the board from all the prospects you talked about in these two years. So it's interesting to just watch going forward. I think it's a really good experience specifically for a guy like Dyson Daniels, who's going, you know, is making his name off his defense. I think that's a really impressive context for him to be able to play in. Obviously the, the offense is going to, just bring more questions. What do you think, Tyler, his role will look like at the NBA level on offense? Because I don't think anyone's questioning the defense. Yeah, and offensively, I think he'll be used more as a connector. Um, I, I still like the idea of playing him as your you know, de facto point guard uh, just because of the versatility it provides defensively. Um, but on offense... I, I think he's a good enough passer. He's got the size and length to, you know, put pressure on the rim at a decent, um, at, at a decent rate. Um, but he's not this high level playmaker. I don't trust him shooting off the dribble or anything like that. But if he plays alongside, you know, a, a wing creator like the Knicks have in RJ Barrett or even Julius Randle, I think the shot will come along well enough where he can be a reliable spot up shooter or someone who, when they receive that kickout pass, they can attack the closeout and finish at the rim or make that extra skip pass to an open shooter. So the, the big value comes defensively, obviously with him, but on offensive, he can just be that connector and facilitator and just making the right play consistently. Um, I, I think that's going to be more where he thrives. So I, I do really like his upside as a playmaker mm-hmm. that, that secondary kind of tertiary role the jump shot just scares me S- specifically on a team like the Knicks where again that's going to be a very common mock a very easy pick there at 11 that team doesn't have a lot of shooting right spacing has not been the the strength of the the Thibodeau Knicks era and they've looked for it with guys like Fournier and and whomever. But that is just a a concern for me if that's where Dyson Daniels were to end up. That so so reliant on needing shooting for space around RJ and and Julius Randle in particular, those two, would he be able to to provide any of that spacing is, is a real question for me. And I I think it's a fair one because it's something it's my, it's easily my biggest story with him Um, because it, the way the shot looks right now is slow and mechanical. It's like, he's thinking through every single step of it as he goes through it. And that, that really slows down his release. Um, And it makes it almost impossible for him to be a threat to shoot off the dribble. Um, 
you know, I don't expect that to be a skill of his anytime soon, but at his size, that provides the lineup with a little more versatility and how they can construct it. And if he can at least, you know, be reliable, um, you know, 35, 36% from three on spot ups where they have another kind of creator or wing creator, um, similar to his size who can drive and kick and, you know, pass out of the post, pass out of drives and find him, you know, spotting up in the corner or, or above the break. And he can just be reliable on those shots off the catch. I, I think that's a really good place for him to start for the first couple of years and then slowly build on that, that pull-up jumper because I, it, it's going to take a while um, and it's going to take a pretty big increase in his overall confidence in it. Yeah. So that's just one of the interesting things about Daniels to me, because when you look at this class, this just such a wide gambit of, of the type of, of prospect and, and readiness that are there. And you have guys like Ochai Baji, right. Who's just is going to be what he is on day one. And then you have a guy like Jason Daniels. And I think the, the fit matters so much and the team that drafts him, I just think there's going to be so much to watch in the development and the, the role he gets next year. And I think he's going to continue to, to jump up draft boards. Like I said, he is to me, one of the, the risers that we're, we're already starting to see it. And I don't see that stopping. I don't know. Where do you, where do you see him going? What's the highest you see Dyson Daniels in this draft? Um, yeah. So I, I have him at like the back of the lottery. Um, but I just looking at the draft order. I, it, it wouldn't shock me if he went six to Indiana. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think any, I think any higher than that would be a lot. Even six would be a bit of a reach for me, but at that size of defense, the playmaking, um, if someone convinces themselves of the shot, it wouldn't shock me if he went mid lotto. Yeah. I think Indiana is interesting. I think the Spurs at nine is someone I could really see. That's a big one. Um, I, I that that de- that perimeter defense of him, Dejounte Murray, and Devin Vassell, well, would it'd be nasty. Um, and and he ju- he kind of feels like a Spurs pick where he you know that may be considered high for some people, um, but they just view him as their guy and someone they want to develop because of his IQ, his feel, his defense, and you know his potential versatility. Yeah, that's something just traditionally Spursian mm-hmm. and. I think we know enough the Spurs just believe in their own development as they should with the proven track record that you you would trust his jump shot more if he lands in San Antonio, mm-hmm. right? Going forward as a, a long-term projection. But the, the next guy I want to talk about is someone that is similarly jumping up draft boards and somebody that, depending on how – closely you've been following you could say came out of nowhere and that's Malachi Branham someone who did not start the year as this type of prospect but now is 
more and more on in the lottery on on these mock drafts I'm seeing. So what what can you tell us just again that broad overview of Malachi Brandon from Ohio State? And he he's a young guard who's way ahead of schedule. Uh, he's a lethal off ball shooter, really smart passer, um, deadly in the pick and roll. Uses screens about as good as anyone in the country. Uh, gets to his spots easily. He really knows how to use his length to change angles on shots at the rim, jumpers, passes, um, and just he's just always in control and composed. The defense needs a bit of work, but I don't think it's bad. He has the tools to be a good defender, but the the jump shot the passing um and then just the the composure and patience that he plays with it, he just constantly dictates pace and that's really uncommon for a freshman wing so it's something that we hope to see um but this is way ahead of schedule for him which is you know just really exciting yeah i think it it's really interesting because he's definitely someone that caught your eye if you were watching Ohio State. I think he just had real moments where he just jumped off the screen. But I think there were – it always felt like it It was too soon, right, next year. And then it wasn't. Yeah. Do you think that's – right do you think he's ready yeah and so he caught my eye when over the summer when i was going through high school stuff and some i forget who but it was a a bigger name recruit and they happened to be playing Branham, and i was like oh this Branham kid's interesting we'll have to keep an eye on him and then at the start of the year it's like oh god he's playing well again okay maybe he's a 2023 guy this will be fascinating and then it just kept getting better and better and more consistent and it was it never felt fluky it wasn't like he just got scorching hot from three for a two-week stretch and was shooting like 60 percent or something it was repeatable stuff where he's operating the pick and roll he's reading defenses he's making the right reads he's you know being patient keeping his dribble alive using change of pace to get to the rim and create his own shot so the yeah, he got like exceptionally hot in January and February, but it was all stuff that felt repeatable. It wasn't fluky. So even though it feels ahead of schedule, it doesn't feel disingenuous. Yeah. And I also think he's another one where the context matters a lot. That was a Ohio State team that had some injury at time. He had some injuries and it really kind of affected the role he took, I think, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. He was someone that really impressed me. He's another one of these guys I think could be a a bit of a surprise with with how high he ends up going. Where do you see that? What is the ceiling for for Malachi Branham in the draft? Yeah, and so I I have him at eight right now on my board. You know, I hate to go back to Indiana, but India, I think Indiana makes sense as a Brog, like almost as a Brogdon replacement. Um, I like him in Portland, uh, San Antonio. We mentioned, I love him on New York, uh, for the Knicks. I, I think that fit, um, would be incredible. He'd provide off ball shooting. He'd provide on ball scoring. Um, he could take some of the ball handling responsibilities away from RJ, um, so I, I really like him in that mid to late lotto range. 
Um, but it, it's going to be really fascinating to see where he goes because it wouldn't shock me if he slipped just outside the lotto. Um, but if I was any of those teams like San Antonio, Washington, New York, and he was sitting there, I, I would, it would be really tough for me to pass on him. Yeah. So you said you have him eight. Mm-hmm. That's ahead of every guard in this class besides Ivy and, and Johnny Davis, correct? Yes. Yeah, so Johnny four, Jaden five, Shaden Sharp seven, and Branham eight. So what makes him a better prospect than some of these other guys we're talking about? Dyson Daniels, Jaden Hardy, Benedict Matherin. For me, it's it's the offensive versatility. Uh, and he, he proved to be one of the best um, spot-up shooters in the country this year. He was absolutely lethal, especially when he was left open. He was in like the 95th percentile or something on open catch-and-shoot threes. Um, and then the way, the different ways that he ran the pick and roll, I thought was stunning. Um, he, he obviously used it to score both at the rim and with mid range pull-ups at a really, really high rate. Um, but then his playmaking out of there was so impressive. Him and EJ Liddell ran an awesome two man game, but then he also did a great job of manipulating the second level of the defense by looking off that weak side um defender to either set up his roller for a dunk or you know create a, even more space for a shooter in the corner um so just that composure that awareness of what the defense was doing and what he needed to do to counter it um i it, it was just consistent it felt repeatable and it felt like it all came naturally to him yeah, and I, I think we talk a lot about defensive versatility when looking at prospects. I think we talk a lot less about offensive versatility, and I think that's what makes Malik Abraham really interesting to me. A lot of the things you just said, just very different than some of the other guys we're talking about with how how versatile, all the different things he can do offensively. Mm-hmm that I think makes him really interesting to me. I'm similarly high on, on him as you are. So that's why one of the reasons I, I really wanted to talk about him. So, cause I think he's, he's realistic at 11 for the Knicks. And I think of these guys, I, I would be just over the moon if the Knicks could come away with him. Yeah. And I, I think the fit makes too much sense. And the, the, the rapid growth we've seen from him in just one year, out of high school um you know it it's ahead of schedule but like i said it feels authentic it feels legitimate and repeatable so i'm not saying he's going to have that similar skyrocket of a jump his rookie year because that's you know that that, that that's unrealistic but i mean i I, th- I think there's a lot more to him than a lot of people thought when you know he was coming out of high school agreed so the next guy I want to talk about, I think is interesting. It's someone who is very ob- is the opposite of, of Malachi Brandon with how he came in from high school and how he was viewed. And that's someone that I believe your mock draft at no ceilings had him falling to, I want to say 29th. And that is Jaden Hardy of the G League Ignite. 
to Jaden yeah. Hardy. Jaden Hardy, for those of you who, who don't know, haven't followed, haven't followed, came in as consensus top three guy last year, top five guy. And just really struggled in the G League. And then similarly, like we said, the Dyson Daniels figured it out a little bit, showed some flashes. You would see the the Gavoni tweet about how he's putting it together with a, a clip of a you know little dribble move score and and whatever. But it, it's definitely an interesting situation. And I would say again, it just his draft stock is going the opposite direction as Daniels and Branham. What can you tell us about Jaden Hardy? Yeah, saying so coming out of high school, he was, like you said, one of these guys who we thought um, could challenge for that top five, top three pick. And he got off to a really rough start. And that's because he went from a smaller high school program to playing against grown men. And he really struggled. Um Coming out of high school, I, I liked the shot. I thought it was legitimate, but I worried about his lack of explosiveness and his lack of overall athleticism and how that would affect his ability to create his own shot, whether it's getting to the rim or, you know, creating space on the perimeter. And that that really came to fruition right away. He struggled with the additional physicality, the additional athleticism, the length. And that really showed up in his shooting numbers. And they, they threw him into the deep end and told him to sink or swim. Um, it got better, a lot better as the season progressed. I, they, they started using him more off ball. I really like his off ball movement and his off ball shooting, the way he comes off screens. It really developed as the season went on and he learned how to use those really effectively to create space um, to either create driving lanes off the catch or sink into the corner or lift out to the wing for an open three. So, you know, early in his career, I think that's where he's really going to thrive. And then he, his passing improved too, not to the point of being a primary guy or anything like that, but he ran a really effective two-man game, um, especially with Michael Foster down the stretch of last season where he, his interior passing, it was creative, it was um, unpredictable, and it was accurate and consistent. So that I thought was really encouraging just to add a different dynamic to his offense. I don't think there's starting shooting guard upside necessarily with him but he could be one of these just lethal six men who is just an awesome spark plug scorer and you know microwave guy off the bench because i the the off-ball shooting is going to be legitimate yeah i think that is where i see him now how high you value that role if that's the ceiling i think is the question because I I have him a little lower. I have him similarly low low first. But it takes one team. And is he a guy that somebody falls in love with that the scoring ability and thinks it's, you know, going to be there at that level? the second half being a more valid 
prediction of, of what he's going to be at the NBA level and reaches on him late lottery. Do you see that as a, a possibility for Hardy? I, I don't. Um, I, 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 I think that's just a little too rich for me. The, and the only teams I could potentially see it would be Cleveland, but that defensive backcourt of him and Darius Garland would be brutal. Um, I think he'd actually be kind of fun in Atlanta at 16, but again, that defensive backcourt with him and Trey, not ideal. Um, the only one in like that mid first to late lotto range that I could potentially see would be Charlotte. Um, because I'm not quite sure what their kind of plan is at shooting guard next to LaMelo, um, long-term is, but I know other than that, I, I, I just kind of think he's going to fall to like that mid, mid to late first. For everybody's sake, I hope that's right. I mean, I'm not that I'm rooting against the kid, but he is a guy that I think if, if somebody reaches on him, it's just going to change the expectations for who he is as a player. I think like the Knicks at 11 would just be the worst case for him. With, and again, the Knicks in particular have very bad history with that range of player, your Kevin Knox, your Frank Nilakina type of player. And he's someone that, I would hate to see that happen too. I think he could be successful given the right role, given the right team. Just a lot of questions for me. Because even in the offense, just having to work so hard on the ball is just a, a real red flag for me when your whole thing is being able to to create on the ball. Just makes it really hard for me to believe. Yeah, and he's going to be one of these guys that's going to need a point guard. Um, and the, the, there's nothing wrong with that. It's really hard to create your own shot in the NBA. Um, they're the best defenders in the world. And I think he, it's going to be a really another really dramatic learning curve for him early. And if he's asked to, you know, be a ball dominant guy, I think the results are going to be pretty rough. Um but if he's used more as like that off-ball shooter role, especially early, and he's relying on screens and a teammate to create shots for him, then that then I like that progression path a little more because it, it eases him in. It doesn't just throw him into the deep end and force him to adapt or die. It's, hey, l- l- let's focus on what you're good at. We're going to develop these other, other things in practice and behind the scenes. And then when you're ready, that's when we're going to implement them because I, I, I definitely buy the shot long-term both off the catch and off the dribble. Um, he was a little more consistent off the catch this year, but he's going to be, I'd be surprised if he's not a good shooter. It's just how does he get those shots? And early in his career, it's going to be pretty reliant on a teammate setting him up. Yeah. I think needing to play next to a point guard should have, immediately eliminate you from all Knicks conversation for eternity. Cause seeing that sort of necessary developmental arc next to a point guard and having to play next to Alec Burks, tough pill to swallow. It's not ideal. 
the the last guy I want to talk about is someone that I think turned a lot of heads during the NCAA tournament. And somebody that I think whichever team drafts him is just immediately going to fall in love with. And that's Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Even though some of maybe your comrades might say he's not the best prospect on Arizona. By and large, going to be a, a lottery pick. I think the Knicks are probably the tail end of that, that range he's going to go. I don't really see him getting past Oklahoma City at 12. Although who knows what Oklahoma City is doing. But that, that range, the Knicks at 11, if he's there, I think is a, a very, very legitimate chance. What can you tell us about Benedict Mathern? Yeah, so for the record, I think he's pretty clearly the best Arizona prospect. Uh, I, I just want that on record. Um, I, I I love the fit with New York. I think he immediately modernizes their shooting guard position. Uh, awesome athlete, just terrific off-ball scorer. Um, I, I know that his three-point percentage does him a disservice because he took a lot of really, really tough shots. Um, a lot of movement threes uh, contested off screens. Uh, he was asked to take some really tough shots and that I think that lowered his percentage a little bit, but he's, he's a really good shooter, awesome cutter, freak athlete, a really tough competitor. Uh, the defense tends to come and go at times, um, but when he's really locked in, he can be a menace defensively. And, you know, I think the hope is with a slightly reduced role that, there's a little more energy for him to kind of divert to increasing that defensive consistency. Um, my only hang up on him is I don't really trust him doing much as an on ball scorer. I think he's going to thrive um, off ball, but the, the on ball creation and scoring didn't quite take the jump this year that I really wanted it to. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and it's just another one of those contexts that will be really interesting to see based off of the the team that drafts him. This draft, we've talked about it. We talked about it during the lottery. I think everybody has talked about it. There's just a lot of high variance with with these prospects. And unlike most classes where I think you have a more – kind of set top 10 lottery. There's a lot of guys that have a little more, little more divisive prospects, a little more variance and, and projections. I think Matherin is really interesting because he is in that depending on, depending on who you are kind of second tier range, third tier range, I guess, depending I think he has one of the lower variances in draft projection of any of these prospects, right? You're not really going to see him. He's not one of these guys like Keegan Murray or, or Shadon Sharp that you'll see maybe could go up four to Sacramento, but also could fall a little lower. Like, you know, some of these guys that are in that 10 to 20 range, I think he's consistently like seven to 12. 
Where do you see him going on draft night? Where do you see what's the right range for him? Is that it? Yeah, and I I think that seven to twelve range makes a lot of sense. Maybe even thirteen, depending on who kind of falls to OKC at twelve. Um, I could see them maybe taking a little bit bigger of a swing. Um, I, I who knows what Presti's thinking, but and if he fell to Charlotte at thirteen, I would be shocked if he made it past them. Um, and I would I I don't think there's any chance that he would even fall past 14 to Cleveland. Um, but I mean, if, if he's sitting there at 11 for New York, I, I think you sprint to the podium and put that and you submit that pick because he, he fits everything they need. Um, I, I think he would kind of be fun in new Orleans too, just adding athleticism and shooting um, at eight. They're, they're another team where it'll be really fascinating to see what they do, but I, I do think that kind of eight to 13 range is his most likely outcome. Um, I know that's kind of a big gap, but if, if he's there at 11, um, I just, I don't see any way that New York passes on him. Yeah. I, I think that I agree. I think he is arguably the most likely of these guys we're talking about for the Knicks. I also think you said that's kind of a big gap, but if you look at Malachi Branham, for example, what's the range for him? Because it could be six to 20. And I think Dyson Daniels similar, and and both of those guys are still rising. I haven't seen much change in Mather and stock. Again, he got a little buzz and, and, a little more attention during the NCAA tournament. That was putting on one of the most impressive individual performances. We'll do that. But never really changed. He's just been pretty steady in, in where he's where he's looked at. I think that's, again, just an interesting comparison to some of those other guys who are rising, like Daniels or Branham, or falling, like Hardy. That because of the level of variance for the prospects in this class kind of just makes him a little more enticing to me because if he's there at 11, I'm a little more surprised. And I think the Knicks may not be expecting that, right? Someone like Branham, I think he'll be there at 11. I would like him at 11. But I have no idea. Does that make sense? Am I, you know? No, and that, that's, that's the fun part about the draft is we, we get to speculate for months on end about where, where these guys will go. Oh, who's, you know, a Spurs type player or who, who are the, you know, who are the Pelicans going to take and are they, they going best player available or fit? And we, we have no idea. And until it actually happens and then we look back it's like oh duh of course they did that and obviously we're playing revisionist history there but that that's the whole fun part about it is that we keep doing we can keep doing these mocks over and over again and come up with a different result every time um so and it'll be fascinating because there is always at least that one guy who goes 10 spots higher than we all thought and we're like on draft night when his name is called, we're just gonna be like, what is happening? Um, 
it happened with Josh Primo last year. So it, it, it'll be, it'll be fascinating because someone will, will always jump up and they'll force, you know, the next couple names down at least a spot or two or five. Um, and, you know, we, then we get to all go wild and make our preconceived judgments r- r- right in the moment. There's nothing I love more than a draft grade without a second of NBA performance being played. And the only thing better than that is then six to eight months later when everybody is dunking on that draft grade because a player has one good game or, yeah, or whatever. It's, it's this incredible cycle that we, we always do and it's never going to change. And it's, it's amazing, but I, I going to add one more uh, prospect to talk about. I wasn't planning on, but I'm just, I think it's it's necessary, especially with the Knicks context. Go ahead and talk about Ty Ty Washington. Ty Ty's tough. Um, I I'm I'm not a huge fan of his. I think he's okay. I have him at 25 right now. Um, I I think he's going to be a really good shooter. I think he runs a solid pick and roll game. It's not nothing overly complex or creative but it's controlled and consistent and accurate and then I I think he's a good passer not necessarily a playmaker um, but he's not very explosive the defense is eh, and the the playmaking the creativity and flash and the ability to pass guys open consistently isn't necessarily there Um, and then he's not that big I think he's only 6'3 so if he's going to be your point guard, uh, your, your de facto point guard. Um, you know, I, I think there's a little more kind of on ball scoring and consistency that you're going to need to see from him. Um, now I, I, I think it's important to point out that he was injured down the stretch of the season for Kentucky. And I think that limited him a lot. It seemed like he just couldn't get that ankle, right? So may, maybe he's the, you know, the next in line of these Kentucky guards who kind of underwhelmed, his freshman year and then gets to the NBA and, you know, and then really explodes and takes that leap. But I I think those guys before him just showed more consistently than he did. And I I just really wish he was like six, five and could play shooting guard instead of point guard. Yeah. I think everything you said is accurate and terrifying. And he is another one of these guys. I've seen it less. But in the earlier mocks, it was just the Knicks. Yeah. Well, they need a guard. They need a point guard. Yeah, He's from exactly. Kentucky. Bam. And we talked a little bit during our, our lottery show. I brought him up. Boy, did that get a, a rough rough review from, from the Knicks fans. It's just he's not who, who Knicks fans want to see, which I think is, is very interesting given, again, the connection to Kentucky. Everything you just said with this, you know, whatever you want to call this Devin Booker bump, the Tyler Hero bump, the the O, it's a scoring guard that underperformed, but he has that that potential. I I don't see that he does personally. It's very interesting to me where he ends up going. Because mm-hmm. I think his his stock is I don't want to say plummeting, because that's I don't think that's fair to him, but it's certainly not rising. 
And I think you're starting to see more projections late first. I, I think he'll still be a first round pick. I'm, le- I'm less certain than I would have been a month ago. Is there a world in which you see him at a level? Only if no, I mean no, no. I'm just gonna say no because I, I, I don't even want to put that possibility in Knicks fans' heads. Um, you know, I, I, I'm rooting for the kid. I, I hope he proves me wrong. I always love it when I rank guys low and they prove me wrong and I look like an idiot. I love that. Um, I, I think lottery is especially eleven. I think that's way, 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 way too aggressive. I this point guard class is just, it's not a good one. Um, and I, you know, a couple of these guys will go higher than they should uh, just kind of like the, in the NFL, how well quarterback will always go higher than he probably should just because he's a quarterback. So I would be sh- stunned if Ty Ty fell out of the first. Um, I don't think he should. I think he's a good enough player to go in the first. I just don't think it's with the Knicks. If the Knicks were picking at like 19 or 20, then I think that becomes more realistic. But I I think there's way too much talent available at 11 um, that fits more of what they need in terms of just talent upgrade and modernizing their wing positions uh, with versatility and shooting. And I I just don't think Ty Ty, if they took Ty Ty at 11, I, I think it would be a pretty egregious mistake. Now, we also do have to consider Leon Rose's draft history. He's been one of the more aggressive um, shakers and movers in in the NBA over the last two years. A lot of movement, both up and down, where I think that's a a possibility that if, let's say it's Ty Ty, move down to 19, take a couple assets and, and take them. Now, I wouldn't like that still. But I, I think it's possible. I think it's interesting, as you said. I mean, we've talked about it. I wrote about it. This is a, a weak, weak guard class with really just completely devoid of primary primary playmakers. It's, just, it's not there. The lead, the lead ball handlers in this class don't really exist. There's these guys we're talking about. There's a lot of combo guards, even at the, the top. Jaden Ivey still has all of these questions and you know, he's a consensus top five pick that doesn't really exist. I think it's interesting. It's always been the, the debate amongst Knicks fans of the Knicks point guard plays historically bad. And even when, you know, they were good, even the nineties did not have the point guard play you wanted. Where do you get that point guard play? There's always been the debates the last couple off seasons of drafting versus free agency with a, you know, a guy like Van Vliet or making a, a bigger splashier move for a Chris Paul type or, or whatever it's looked like. And really they've done nothing, which has led to Alec Burks. If Dean had to go, but Dean would be talking about Emmanuel quickly right now. I am going yeah. to make a choice to not talk about Emmanuel quickly. The the point guard Emmanuel quickly discourse is just I can't handle it. Um, 
I just I don't think that that point guard is in this class. Last year, Knicks fans loved Sharif Cooper. I am surprised that Knicks fans don't similarly love Kennedy Chandler. I love Kennedy Chandler. I like Kennedy. He's fun. He's very fun. Uh, there's no world that's been in the Knicks wall slack. There's been some some tweets shared of of guys talking about you know Kennedy Chandler's impressive combine results. Being like in the Knicks range, Kennedy Chandler with this vertical, like nope, he's not in that range. That's no, it's not there. If he's there at the second you trade back, like yeah, that's there's there's possibilities, and I love Kennedy Chandler. I would be thrilled to see the Knicks take him. There is no world in which a, there's an, a conversation around eleven with Kennedy Chandler. So just a, a weird class. A fun class, I think. I think this class is a little underrated now because it got hated on for so long. And it's in a weird place with last year's potentially all-time class. And then next year you have Scoot and Wemby. And this year, we don't know. But we're going to keep talking about it. And like you said, that's what makes it fun. We know nothing. Yeah, we just talk so exactly. much. The The beauty is the chaos. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And this class, I think more than most, we definitely don't know what's going to happen. But thank you so much, Tyler, for joining. I've appreciated having you on. Go ahead and, and tell people where, where to find you and, and the content you've been putting out. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. This is fun. Um, and I, I always enjoy talking about these combo guards and, and wings because that there's a lot of fun players, um, like you said. So, I yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Um, I write for No Ceilings. You can find all of our stuff at noceilingsnba.com. It's 100% free. Uh, if you want to subscribe, that'd be awesome. Uh that all that means is that when we publish something, it gets delivered directly to your inbox. Um, and it's still a hundred percent free. Uh, you can listen to our podcast, which I host with Tyler Rucker, um, the no ceilings NBA draft podcast. And you can find us on YouTube at no ceilings TV, um, or on Twitter at no ceilings NBA. Yeah, truly. I think some of the best draft coverage you're going to find I absolutely recommend if you don't subscribe, if you don't listen, change that. Because if you're listening to us, you're going to want to listen to them. It's it's really good stuff. I appreciate all the work you guys put out there. We appreciate that. And that'll be it from us. As always, you can follow us at the Knicks Wall on Twitter. I am not the fake NC. We appreciate all of you. We have another five weeks to go, and we're going to keep talking about all of these guys and all the things that can happen. So thank you, and until next time.